During the season of Epiphany, we've explored the ways that God in Christ is revealed to us. It began with the baptism of the Lord um, at the beginning of January, and, and we wrap it up today with the transfiguration, these two kind of bookends of God in Christ being truly revealed to us. Friends, I invite you to listen now with open hearts and minds as we encounter God's word together from the ninth chapter of Mark's gospel, beginning with the second verse. Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain apart by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his clothes became dazzling white, such as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah with Moses, who were talking with Jesus. Then Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three dwellings, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what to say, for they were terrified. Then a cloud overshadowed them, and from the cloud there came a voice. This is my son, the beloved. Listen to him. Suddenly, when they looked around, they saw no one with them anymore, but only Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, he ordered them to tell no one about what they had seen until after the Son of Man had been risen from the dead. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Several years ago, I went to a pastor's conference at Montreat. Montreat is the uh, Presbyterian Conference Center near Asheville, North Carolina, right in the middle of the Blue Ridge Mountains. It's a a wonderful, stunning, uh, amazing place. One afternoon during this conference, we had a little bit of free time, so uh, four or five of my pastor friends and I decided to go do a hike really the hike to do at Montreat. That's the hike up Lookout Mountain. I've never done this hike before, but uh, since I never had, and it's the one hike to do while you're there, I decided to take the short but very, very steep hike up this mountain with some friends. As we were going up the mountain, my friends and I talked about all sorts of things. Our families, our churches, our ministry, what we were excited about, what we were worried about, what we were frustrated about. Us pastors like to talk. (laughs) Exhibit A. So as we were talking, we, we kept on talking and talking and talking as we made our way up the mountain, but something happened. As we were nearing the end of the tree line path up Lookout Mountain, we made our way to the clearing and to the overlook. Our conversation stopped. Suddenly, those five pastors with lots and lots to say suddenly had nothing to say. We simply stood there in awe. We took in the wonder of the the panoramic vista of of the top of Lookout Mountain as we looked out over the Blue Ridge Mountains, the the foothills below, the stunning valley uh, out there in the distance. It was a moment where we had nothing to say. We just simply paused in amazement and wonder 
and praise for the goodness of God's creation. Now, if you think you dislike awkward silences, imagine a group of five preachers standing together. Our moment of, of standing there in wonder and awe and, and uh, praise for creation uh, suddenly stopped as one of us made an awkward joke. Oh, okay, it was me. Um, <laughs> one of us made a joke to break the awkward silence and we made our way down the mountain. There's something about mountaintops, right? Where you take in such a beautiful view and just the, the awe of and wonder of God's good creation. Mountaintops are, are something are the folks in the Celtic tradition would call a thin place. The thin place is, is somewhere, it doesn't have to be a mountain necessarily, but a place where the distance between heaven and earth is thinned out. And you feel closer to God than you would anywhere else. All of us have these mountaintop moments in our lives. All of us have these, these experiences of thin places. Now the Bible has a thing for mountaintop moments, doesn't it? I think Moses receives the law on the top of Mount Sinai. He receives the Ten Commandments on top of the mountain. In our first reading, as we meet Elijah, we hear about Elijah with Elisha going up Mount Carmel and Elijah being taken up by a whirlwind into the heavens. Of course, one of the best-known mountaintop stories in the Bible is our story today. In our story, Jesus takes his three favorite disciples, or at least they like to think so, of Peter, James, and John up this high mountain. Mark is very careful not to identify it. Up this high mountain by themselves. And as soon as they make it up this mountain, something happens. Jesus is transfigured before them. The, the Greek word there is metamorphosis, change, transform. Jesus' appearance changes. His clothes became dazzling white. His face shines like the sun. Jesus is seen and revealed in this completely different light. But as he's transfigured, something else happened. We find that he's not alone. We find him beside two other uh, mountaintop figures from the Bible, Moses and Elijah. Moses, the receiver of the law, Elijah, the very essence of a biblical prophet. Seeing Jesus besides these two all-stars of the Old Testament is, is a testament to Jesus being the very fulfillment of the law and the prophets. It's an amazing moment. It's a powerful moment. And as Miss Susan said with our children, you can just imagine what the three disciples, Peter, James, and John, might have been thinking. There's amazement, but also a healthy dose of fear, as well as a little bit of awkwardness. How do you respond to this moment? Good old Peter thinks he has a solution. I'm going to build three houses, Jesus, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. We can make this great moment last. We don't have to come down the mountain. I love how Mark adds in a little commentary there. Peter says it's not knowing what else to say, essentially. But 
Jesus uh, assures them that this moment can't, can't last. They make their way down the mountain, and we see the narrative arc of the gospel move from this moment leading up the mountain to the transfiguration, and now from here everything goes down into the valley and eventually to Jerusalem, to Jesus' arrest, crucifixion, death, and resurrection. Friends, we can't really blame Peter here, can we? For wanting this, this mountaintop moment to last, for, for wanting to do something to make it last, to, to uh, mark this, this amazing experience of God uh, being, being present with us. We also struggle, like Peter and the disciples, of knowing what to do or what to say when we have a mountaintop moment when we glimpse the divine, when we have this kind of experience of being in a thin place. How do we respond? How do we react? What do we do? How do we react? I think the, the result of this uh, not knowing what to do with ourselves when we feel like we've experienced the divine, when we've experienced God at work in our lives and the world is we have trouble articulating where God is. We have trouble articulating how God is present and at work in our lives and in the world around us. This becomes an increasingly difficult thing to do in a world where fewer and fewer people are involved in the life of the church. I think there's another struggle, another difficulty present in this text, though. And when we do have these mountaintop moments, we eventually know we have to come down from them, like the disciples. And after this this, uh, high point, this experience of God and God's glory and love uh, being present in our lives and in the world, we have to go back down the mountain and we remember that there's still bad things happening in our world. We still live in a world in which disease and hunger are, are present. We still live in a world where there's violence and warfare, division and hatred amongst people. It's hard to know what to do with these mountaintop moments when we know that once we come down, we're back in the world in which we live. As the story goes on, just after Peter's well-intentioned offer to build some houses, Mark tells us that a cloud covers them. And from this cloud, we hear a very familiar voice, the same voice we heard at Jesus' baptism. This is my son, the beloved. Listen to him. Now, the three disciples weren't there at the baptism. They hadn't met Jesus yet. So here, though these words might be familiar to us as the gospel readers, they are new to the disciples. And so in them, they see their Lord being revealed in a completely different light. They see just who Jesus is. My favorite thing about these words from the divine, from the cloud in our text, though, is the slight difference from what God says in the baptism Do you notice that? Did you catch that? Listen to him. Listen to him. 
fitting words to, to Peter after just having uh, offered to build some houses, but I think fitting words for us as well when we struggle to know what to do when we glimpse the divine, when we have a mountaintop moment or experience a thin place. Experiencing a glimpse of the divine, of God's love at work in our lives and in the world is a time to listen, not to speak. That it's okay to just simply sit in awe and take the moment in and be present to experience God showing up in our lives and in the world around us. Now, something else odd happens in our text as they come down the mountain Do you notice that? As they come down the mountain, Jesus tells his three disciples, yeah, all that that just happened up there, don't tell anyone about it. Let's keep that to ourselves for now at least, right? It's a little little odd, isn't it? Why Why would Jesus want the disciples to keep this a secret and not share it? This is a theme that happens throughout the gospel, in Mark's gospel in particular, Uh, that Jesus will heal someone or have a profound teaching or or do a miracle and then tell the onlookers not to tell anyone about it. It's a phenomenon scholars call the messianic secret. And pastors and scholars, the church has, has wrestled with this for hundreds of years. So let me give you just my take on this. Let me give you my brief understanding of what's going on here. A couple of weeks back, my family and I went to the movies. And after the whole ritual of buying our overpriced tickets and overpriced snacks, and we went to sit through the 30 minutes or so of previews. I'm one of those people that just loves movie previews, though. I think it's quite an art for some, and there, there are companies, I understand, that, that specialize in this, that take a two-hour or so film and condense it down to one or two minutes. The point of these movie previews is not to tell you the whole story. It's not to even tell you the names of all the characters or the general idea of what's going to happen. The idea of a movie preview is to give you just a glimpse, a taste of what's to come. The point of a movie preview is to get you back to that theater, to buy that same overpriced ticket and overpriced snacks to watch that movie. It's to get you excited about what's to come. I can't help but think of these messianic secret moments as sort of movie previews. Wherein Jesus gives, uh, Jesus provides the disciples or whoever is, is present and witnessing a glimpse of who he truly is. But it's never the full picture. For the Gospel of Mark, you cannot know who Jesus truly is. The disciples can't even know who Jesus truly is until the cross and until the empty tomb. Any glimpse of who Jesus is until that point is just a preview. It's just a snapshot. Think if word got out after Jesus healed someone or Jesus had a profound teaching. He would be known as a profound teacher. He'd be known as a miracle worker or a healer. All those things are wonderful and all those things are part of who Jesus is, but they are not the full picture of who Jesus is as Lord, as Savior, as Messiah, as the Christ, the anointed one of God. Friends, when we're struggling to make sense of the world in which we live, where there's still violence and brokenness 
where there's still heartache and disease. We struggle with these things. We can be assured when we glimpse the divine that God's not done with us yet. That God's kingdom is still taking shape in this world. God's kingdom of love, peace, and justice is still taking shape in this world. And we can be assured that one day, God's enemies of disease, of evil, of division, of hatred, of suffering, God's ultimate enemy of death will one day be no more. And all of us will be one in Christ Jesus. Friends, as we journey together down from the mountain of transfiguration into the valley of Lent, may we find ways to to pay attention that we might glimpse the divine, that we might glimpse God at work in our lives and our world. May these glimpses assure us of God's kingdom of love and peace and justice taking shape in our lives and in our world around us. Friends, may we participate with our risen Lord in making that kingdom come true in this place and beyond. Amen.